So we are in this series, we're actually, well, this first part of the series, we're going through the last week of Jesus' life leading up to Easter. Uh, how do you guys know that Easter is in two weeks? Right? Yeah. Two weeks. Yes. So we started this story on the Sunday before Easter, uh, like in Jesus' timeline, like the Sunday as he's coming in Jerusalem, talking about the triumphal entry or Palm Sunday, which is actually going to be this Sunday coming up that we celebrate. It's Jesus coming into Jerusalem, riding on a baby donkey, declaring that he is the king of Israel. He is the savior, but not only that, that he is the king of the universe and he is the savior of the world. And then we went ahead and we skipped Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. We skipped ahead to Thursday night. Um, and that's actually where we're still going to be at tonight. Uh, but on that Thursday night, that was whenever Jesus and disciples, they celebrated Passover. And so the disciples, they go and they get everything prepared and ready. Um, but Jesus does something wild. He says, this bread you've been eating for thousands of years, that's my body that's broken for you. This cup you've been drinking for thousands of years, that's my blood. It was poured out for you. And then... Um, after they ate the meal, we read last week that Jesus, he took Peter, James, and John, and they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And that is where Jesus was so stressed out that he was sweating drops of blood. And he prays to God, he prays to his Father, that if it were possible, that they would find another way to complete their mission. But Jesus, he ends up submitting to God's plan. He ends up saying, that God, not my will, but your will be done. And then he gets on to Peter, James, and John. Like, remember that part last week? He gets on to Peter, James, and John. He's like, seriously, guys, like, why aren't you guys praying? Um, why aren't you guys praying with me? Um, but then on the third time, he says that. He says, okay, it's too late. My betrayer is coming. It's too late. Now the time has come. So that's where we pick up the story tonight. Uh, so hang on tight. We're going to go straight story mode tonight. Like, we got a lot of story to get through. But next week is going to be way more hands-on um, in a, in a literal sense. So, story time. Um, verse 43 uh, of chapter 14 of Mark. If you have your Bibles, it's there, Mark 14 and 43. Uh, it says, while he was still speaking, remember Jesus is getting on to Peter, James, and John. Why aren't you praying? So while he's still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs. And from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said. He is the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So whenever he came, immediately he went up to Jesus and he said, Rabbi, and he kissed him. And they took hold of Jesus and they arrested him. And then one of those stood by. He drew his sword and he struck the high priest's servant and he cut off his ear. Jesus said, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you teaching in the temple, and you didn't arrest me. But the scriptures must be fulfilled. And then they all deserted him and ran away. Did you guys think that sometimes like the Bible can be like a Netflix series or something? Like all this drama that's happening here? Like one of the twelve, what? Someone's cutting off an ear, What? basically survivor, but jokes on you, it is, it's the chosen, and I can't wait until it gets to this season, actually I can, it's going to be really sad um, when it gets to this part, uh, the chosen is so good, if you haven't seen the chosen, go watch it, you can actually see these people in action, um, you can, okay, getting back to this, but listen to what this is saying, the very first line, said Judas, 
one of the 12. Let that sink in for a second. Who is the person that is coming to betray Jesus? It's one of the 12. It's somebody that followed Jesus. Judas was a follower of Jesus. He was chosen by Jesus to be his disciple. And he followed Jesus around for three years, listening to him preach, watching him perform miracles, hearing him tell stories, hearing him pray to God. But Judas, we know from other scriptures, was also a thief and he was in charge of the money. Judas cared more about the things of the world than he did about following Jesus. Think about that. And also, as we go through the story, think about where you fit into the story. Like all of us are probably a character in the story somewhere. Think about where you fit in. But Judas, he was driven by the things of this world instead of his love for Jesus. And the story actually tells us that this wasn't just a haphazard thing that Judas did. This is something that Judas predecided to do even before the Passover. As the story says in other parts of the scripture, it says Judas, he ends up going to the chief priest. And he says, how much will you pay me if I give you Jesus? Basically, like, if I sell out my Jesus, how much are you going to give me? And the chief priest is like, hmm, how much you want? Um, and then, like, 30 pieces of silver, pretty much. He's like, I'll give you 30 pieces of silver and you give me Jesus. And so that is the exchange that happened. Judas, he betrays Jesus for 30 pieces of silver, which actually was a lot of money back then. Um, I Googled it, and you're not going to get a straight answer. It's anywhere from $400 to $10,000. I don't know what that means. That's a big jump. It's a, it was a lot of money either way. I think it was a few months of a wage, so well, it's in the thousands of dollars. Um, but that's not the point. And then Judas, he even arranged like the when, the where, and the how because he knew exactly where Jesus was going to be. He knew what he was going to be doing, and he knew how to do it that wasn't going to get everyone, uh, how to catch Jesus off guard the most. Like, actually, he couldn't catch Jesus off guard because he predicted it um, a lot of times, actually. But... Judas, he knows where Jesus is going to be. He says, I know he's going to be in the garden. That's where Jesus goes to pray. I know he's going to be praying. No one's going to be awake. Everyone's going to be asleep. This is going to work out just fine. And then going back to the symbolism of the garden, think about it. It's, it was in the garden of Eden where Adam and Eve were betrayed by the devil. And now it's in the garden of Gethsemane where Jesus, the Son of God, is betrayed by Judas but Jesus, always succeeding where humans fail, and being our perfect example, he doesn't run or hide from his responsibilities, yet he stays calm and in control. Remember, he just, he just got done praying, so stressed out. God, take this away. Not my will, but your will be done. And then he gets arrested, and he sees this coming, but he allows it to happen. He stays in control. He submits to God's plan, even though it hurts. He submits to God's plan, even though one of his best friends just stabbed him in the back. And then Mark says that, like, this is, like, I want to see this in a chosen so bad. Uh, Mark says that somebody next to him takes out a sword and cuts off a dude's ear, right? Um, and the, Mark doesn't tell us who it is, uh, but all four Gospels have this story in there, just a little bit different details. John tells us this was Peter, right? Peter is the one who said, Jesus, like, I'm going to follow you no matter what. If you die, I die. I'm with you to the end. Um, and so, so far, Peter is sticking to his word. He says, no, they're not taking my Jesus. He takes out a sword, cuts up a dude's ear. Um, I think in the gospel of Luke, it says Jesus picks up the ear and just puts it back on the guy's head. He's like, 
Um, here's your ear back. Okay, cuff me now, pretty much. Um, and then the Ma- Gospel of Matthew, um, it says that Jesus, he gets on to Peter. He's like, Peter, like, don't do that ever again. Like, what is wrong with you? Haven't you seen anything I've done over the last three years? Like, if you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. Um, but that's what happens in this scene. So imagine it in scenes. Jesus is arrested in the garden. The next scene, he's heading to the court. But this is not just a regular court session. Usually court is held during the day. It's held in the synagogue. But this is a court that's being held at midnight in the high priest's house in the middle of the night. Verse 53 says, They led Jesus away to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes, they assembled. So everyone who's important, they come together. And then Peter followed him at a distance, right into the high priest's courtyard. And he was sitting with the servants, warming himself by the fire. So notice, right before this, it said, everyone deserted him and fled. But here it says, but Peter is still following Jesus. But notice one key difference. At a distance. Jesus, or Peter is still following Jesus, but now he is choosing and he's deciding to put a distance between him and Jesus. It's as if he's starting to think that following Jesus is not safe anymore. That Jesus is asking too much of me. Or maybe Peter's thinking that Jesus is not exactly what he expected him to be for him. Like, I thought Jesus was going to come into Jerusalem and conquer the Romans and kick them out and, and fight for our freedom. Why would he willingly be arrested and get on to me for cutting that guy's ear off? Like, why didn't he let me cut that guy's head off? We can assume that the devil is planting lies in Peter's head to, to, to deceive him. The lies and deception that are already playing to the flesh desires that he's feeling to make him think, maybe Jesus was wrong. Maybe I was wrong for following Jesus. And remember what Jesus just said to Peter before this. He says, pray that you might not fall into temptation because the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And we see here Peter, because he wasn't praying, falling to the temptation of his flesh to put a distance between him and Jesus. Next scene. So Peter, he's in the courtyard um, imagine now the camera it zooms into the upstairs house. Like, okay, what's happening with Jesus in the upstairs? Verse 55, it says, The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin, they were looking for a testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they could not find any. For many were giving false testimony against him, and the testimonies did not agree. Some stood up and they gave false testimony against him, saying, We heard Jesus say, I will destroy the temple made with human hands, and in three days I'll build another one not made by hands. Yet their testimonies did not even agree on this. And then the high priest, he stood up before them all, and he questioned Jesus. He said, Don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But they kept silent and did not answer. Again, the high priest questioned them, Are you the Messiah? The son of the blessed one. I am, said Jesus. And you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heavens. And then the high priest, he tore his robes. And he says, why do we still need witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him deserving death. And then some begin to spit on him, to blindfold him, and to beat him, saying, prophesy. And the temple servants, they also took him, and they slapped him. 
So finally, the Jewish leaders, like they had enough of Jesus at this point. Jesus didn't fit their expectations for what a Messiah was either. And so everything that Jesus was saying and doing, it was dangerous to the position that they held. So they were looking for false witnesses to accuse Jesus, to point or to say like this is everything that Jesus was doing wrong. But basically all of them were lame. None of them added up. None of them made sense. Everyone was saying different things. Uh, but the whole time, again, Jesus stays silent. He remains calm and in control because he knows that this is God's plan. Even though the plan is going to be hard and difficult, he knows this is God's plan. This is the mission. He stays silent and in control. And then the high priest, he asked Jesus point blank for the first time. And this is the first time in all of the gospels that anyone asked Jesus who he is. He says, are you the Messiah, the son of the blessed one? And that's just really biblical language for, like, are you the Savior? Are you the one we've been expecting? Are you the Son of God? To which Jesus finally, for the first time, he says, I am. He says, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heavens. So listen to what Jesus is actually saying here. He's using the scriptures. He's using the exact same scriptures that all those Jewish leaders would have memorized. He's using the same things that we have written in our Old Testament to basically say that he is God and he's identifying himself with God. Because think about it, like the right hand is the position of the greatest influence and power. He says, I will have the greatest influence and power in heaven. He's saying that after he completes his mission and after he ascends back into heaven, that he will be back in his rightful place in heaven with all power and all authority in the universe. That's basically what Jesus is saying right there. He says, you know the God that you've been studying about ever since you were a kid, ever since you've been studying, like you know the one who's coming, I am him. And so the high priest, he's had enough. Like he knows exactly what Jesus is trying to say, and he's not buying it. And so after hearing it, he finally says, okay, we have what we need to put him to death. He is blasphemy, which is just another fancy word for saying things that are going against God, which is very against the rules back then. And so it says they blindfold him, and they spit on him, and they begin to beat him. And the whole time, Jesus stays calm, trusting in God. But at this point, like, where are his disciples? Where are his best friends? Remember, just like 10 verses before this, everyone stands up and says, yes, Jesus, I will never leave you. I will even die with you if I have to. Now, where are they? 10 of them ran away when Jesus was arrested. It says they deserted him. They fled one of him, one of the disciples that betrayed Jesus and was the cause of Jesus being arrested. And then one of them, um, and then there's Peter, who said that he would die with Jesus if he had to. And he followed him all the way to the court, but at a distance. So let's jump to the next scene. Let's go back down into the courtyard and see what Peter's doing at the exact same time that Jesus is getting beat upstairs. Verse 66. It says, while Peter was in the courtyard below, one of the high priest's maidservants came. When she saw Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, you also were with Jesus, the man from Nazareth. So let's pause right there. Go back to the other verse out of Joe. Like you would think like at this point, Jesus or Peter would say, yes, like of course I'm with Jesus. Why else would I be here? 
Like, of course, I'm like, Jesus, he called me. He chose me. You're just jealous that he didn't choose you. He is the Messiah. He's the hope of the world. He's the king of the universe. He's the one that's going to take away the sins of the world. Like, like, isn't that what we would say in that situation? Like, if even if we knew that we would be facing crucifixion on the cross if we did? Verse 68, it says, but he denied it. He says, I don't know or understand what you're talking about. And then he tried to get out of there. He went out of the entryway, and then a rooster crowed. And then when the maidservant saw him again, she began to tell those standing nearby, like, hey, this is, the, this is one of them. Like, you know Jesus, that guy who's um, being beat right now? You know that group that's causing all this trouble? Like, he's one of them. But again, he denied it. And after a little while, those standing there said to Peter again, you certainly are one of them, since you're also a Galilean. And then Peter started to curse and swear. He says, I don't know this man that you're talking about. Like, Jesus? I've never heard of a Jesus. Like, what are you talking about? And immediately a rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered when Jesus had spoken the words to him. He says, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Peter denies knowing Jesus. Remember, like at the exact same time that Jesus is upstairs being um, like questioned and he's being interrogated, he's being beat and, sl- and spit on and slapped. At the same time, that his 10 disciples, they leave him. Judas is over there counting his money and Peter is denying him three times. Like we can almost like think like, okay, give him a pass for the first time. Maybe give him a pass for the second time. Like, okay, maybe, like, Peter, you're nervous. Like, you just cut a dude's ear off. Maybe you've never done it before. You're a little nervous. We get it. But God gives him three chances. On a third chance, instead of, like, Peter going, okay, you know what? You're right. You had me at the first time. Like, I did know Jesus. Peter goes all in on the lie. And it says he begins to curse and swear. Like, that's not the same thing, like, in English. Like, he's not literally, like, saying F, like F words or cuss words or anything like that. But it literally means, like, he's calling down curses on the people. And he's saying, like, like no, I, I'm going to curse you. Like, I, I don't know who you're talking about. I swear, you can swear on anything. Like, I don't know who you're talking about. Felicia would go ahead and come down. This is one of the saddest moments in the Easter story. Like, there's a lot of sadness that happens in the Easter story. But I think this one hits deep with most of us when we really think about it because we can feel the pain and the guilt and the shame that Peter must have felt in that moment. We've all been there. We've all been faced with the choice. The choice to either be bold and courageous and to identify with Jesus even when it's going to be hard or to sit back and to hide. The choice to pray over your food at the lunch table or just to go with the crowd because you don't want the attention. The choice to ask that one friend, hey, would you come to church with me? Or the choice to not because you don't want them to think that you are weird. Or maybe even the choice to carry your Bible with you at school or to read it in public. Or maybe you're just going to keep it in your bag and just read it on your phone so no one asks you questions about it. Or maybe it's the choice to say no to that temptation or just to do it that one more time. We all face choices daily. And more often than we'd like to admit it, we fail. Over and over again, we fail. And this is a theme that we see all throughout the Easter story. It's just how much we humans, we all mess up. Willpower alone is not enough. Jesus, he says, like, you need to pray. 
that you might not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We fail over and over again. But the good news is that where we fail, Jesus succeeds. Jesus, and being our example, he shows us what it looks like to be a disciple who refuses to deny his calling despite persecution and death. While Peter, he's like, I don't know if I'm ready for this. Like, I don't know if I'm ready to also get blindfolded and be, I don't know if I'm also ready to be crucified. I don't know if I can do this. He falls. He, he fails under that. But Jesus shows us what it means and what it looks like that even whenever life gets tough, even whenever life gets hard, even whenever it doesn't make sense, we are still going to take another step in trusting God. And then we're going to take another step in trusting God because we know that God's plan is always the best. Even when it doesn't make sense, even whenever it hurts in the moment, God is good. God is in control. We can trust him. This would have been a very important thing for Mark's readers to hear whenever Mark is writing this. Because think about it, like Mark was a real guy, and he was writing this letter to a real group of Christians. And this group of Christians that Mark was writing to, um, in almost the entire New Testament that, that was written to, was a, a group of Christians that were being persecuted and arrested and tortured and killed every single day for following Jesus. In A.D. 112, I think. It's a long time ago. Um, these are some names you're never going to remember again. Pliny the Younger, which is the governor of Blithany, or Blithania, he wrote to the emperor of Rome at the time, which at that time it was the Roman um, emperor Trajan. Like, you might remember that. That's a cool name. Trajan. The governor, he's writing to the Roman emperor. Basically, it's like a governor writing to the president. He's asking for advice on how to get rid of, um, this is in quotes, the depraved superstition of Christianity. Basically, he's saying like, hey, hey, president, hey, hey, emperor, like this Christianity thing, like it's getting to be a problem. How do I get rid of it? And so the emperor, he writes back to this governor. He says, it's really easy. Like, it's easy. The emperor wrote back. He says that if the arrested and the accused for following Jesus, um, they should be asked three times if they are a Christian. And if they, if they admit it, they were executed. But if they denied it, then they had to prove that they weren't a Christian by being asked to, be, to worship an image of Caesar and to curse Jesus at the same time. And this is in quotes. This is what he says. He says, this is a thing which is said genuine Christians cannot be induced to do. Basically saying like, how do you get rid of Christianity? He says, bring them there. And if they say they're a Christian, just get rid of them. But if they're not, make them prove it. Because if they really are a Christian, then what you're asking them to do, they won't be able to do. Even if they say no three times, they won't be able to worship that image. They won't be able to curse Jesus. And that's how Mark leaves us in this story. And that's where we will end tonight. Are we willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus even to death? Like that's the story. That's the question the Bible asks us. That's the question that, that Mark asked us earlier. That's a question throughout the New Testament. Are we willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus even if it means death? That's a real question. 
That's not a question that we have to deal with in America, in Kuwait, Oklahoma, but that's a real question that Christians all around the world are asking every single day in Egypt, in Iran, in China, in North Korea. They're saying like, do I want to follow Jesus and possibly be killed? Or do I just want to take the safe route? To make it more relatable to us tonight, are we willing to take up our cross and follow Jesus, even if it means we're going to lose friends, even if it means we're going to be thought of as weird, or will we shrink back, deny Jesus, saving our life, saving our reputation, but losing our souls in the process? The good news is that we've all failed before. We have all been in that moment, and we all chose the wrong thing in that moment. But the good news is, is that where we fail, Jesus succeeds. He is our perfect example, and he is our, the king. And so the good news is, and like you guys already know, Jesus, he goes to the cross, and he dies for us so that we can live. He, he obeys. He, he does the hard thing so that we can be accepted into his kingdom, so that we can have his eternal life. And so the thing he asks from us to do, he says, follow me. He asks us, follow me. Take up your cross. Deny yourselves that thing that you've been thinking about, that thing you wanted to do. Deny yourself. Follow me. Take up your cross and submit to me as king. And I promise everything else will work out. If you follow me, Everything else will work out because two things are true. I am good. I love you. I prove that by going to the cross for you. And I'm in control. I'm the king of the universe. Every head bowed and every eye closed.